Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Wow. Thank you so much, you guys. Um, yeah, super kind words from Pastor Mike. I'm just super excited to be here. Um, first of all, I'm so privileged to be able to share with you guys this morning. Um, but above that, I'm just so excited for what God has planned for us here at Southside, for me to be here with you guys and for us together. Um, Sydney and I are just so sure that God has called us to be here. And so we are just so looking forward to what God's going to do through us and through you guys to us. It's just going to be Amazing. So I'm so looking forward to it and really, really thankful um, that I get the opportunity to be up here with you guys. Um, So this morning, I am hoping that you guys can get to know me a little bit um, or even just kind of kick off some small talk conversations. So I want to share a little bit about myself to start off with. So, you know, in the lobby, you can come up to me and you don't have to ask me a question. You can just start off with the topic. Um, So Cindy and I, my wife, um, who is up in the corner over there, if you want to go look at her and make her feel a little uncomfortable, that's great. Um... We've been married for almost two years now. Um, We actually were married in 2020, so we had a COVID wedding. I'll be starting a support group on Monday nights at 7 o'clock if you guys want to come and check that out. Um, No, but it was, yeah, super amazing, super exciting, all this craziness aside. um, So that's great. Um, We have two dogs. Their names are Cypress and Alaska. Um, And yes, they are actually supposed to be that skinny, okay? We do feed them, I swear. Um, They're supposed to look like that, and so don't worry. Um, but I have been starting to call them the rental ruiners because um, as we kind of transition into Chilliwack, they've become some of our biggest problems. And um, if you guys are looking for two dogs to adopt, that might be what we're going to shortly. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, kind of only, though. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's awesome. I love coffee. I'm a bit of a coffee snob. And so that, I, I got to be honest with you. If you guys come talk to me about coffee, you have to know um, what you're getting in for. And so you have to tell me if you want the two minutes or the 20 minute conversation, because I love to talk about the origin, the type of brew, how much I hate Folgers, how much I dislike Tim Hortons, you know, all the normal coffee conversation. Um, so that's something that I love. Um, and please feel free to shut me down if I start talking too long about coffee. Um, secondly, I really love cooking. One of my crowning achievements was that I made lasagna, everything from scratch noodles, sauce, everything. It only took about six to seven hours, and um, it was kind of worth it. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's amazing. I love cooking, and I really like photography. That's something that has kind of been a passion of mine over the years. I started taking digital photos and then moved into film, where I really enjoy doing film photography. So if you any, know any film hookups here in Chilliwack, I'm not sure if there are any, but if you do, let me know, because I don't know if I want to drive an hour every time to develop photos, but that's okay. I might have to do that. <laughs> Yeah, so that's great. Um, I grew up in a small town. I'm on the Sunshine Coast called Powell River. Um, so if you guys have ever heard of that, it's actually cut off from road access to the Lower Mainland, to the rest of the Lower Mainland. You have to take BC ferries, or you have to drive over a mountain, and it takes about three days. So it's cut off by mountains and the ocean. BC ferries has made an absolute killing off of me and my family over the years. Um, and if you guys have ever traveled with BC ferries or missed a ferry, you know the pain that I say that with. Um, but all that aside is honestly one of the most beautiful places to have grown up in. So if you have any chance to go to Powell River or camp there or do anything there, even just for a weekend, it's totally worth it. It's an amazing place to have grown up. Um, But this morning, I thought it was a really cool opportunity. Seeing as Pastor Mike actually just finished the 12-step series, I actually wanted to take some time to share a part of my story, a part of my story where I journeyed from bondage into freedom and kind of 
share a bit about what I have gone through in my life. And hopefully it'll resonate with some of you and I'm sure that you can relate. So I grew up in an amazing family, first of all. I want to preface it with that. I had two amazing, loving parents. I actually grew up with a few generations of Christians in my family. So my parents were Christian and their parents were Christian. And so I was really blessed with a very Christian upbringing where God was talked about and there was always, we were always encouraged in our faith with him. Uh, but the reality was that I was a very sensitive child and I didn't really know how to communicate certain needs that I had. There were needs that weren't being met in my life that I was actually unsure how to articulate um, and didn't really know how to say it. And so throughout my life as a, as a young kid, I basically felt like I was kind of unvaluable or I wasn't actually, I wasn't actually good enough. And so Growing up, I lived with this sort of lie in my life, believing it, and it continued throughout my life. And then when I was about 13 years old, I actually viewed pornography for the first time. And when I viewed that, and when I looked at those pictures and kind of viewed those images, I began to feel what I thought that I had been missing this whole time. I began to kind of feel the feelings that I thought solved those those lacks in my life, the feeling of not being good enough, the feeling of not being loved or not being valued. But of course, these things are a counterfeit or not the real answer to what when you desire love or intimacy or value, they're just something that kind of subs in there as a counterfeit. And this one time of experiencing it and thinking that I had gotten what I needed turned into from one time into multiple times in a month. And then it went from multiple times in a month to multiple times in a week. And then it went from multiple times in a week to multiple times in a day, and I found myself stuck there. I was stuck in the addiction to pornography. I was stuck in this cycle of going to something that I thought was gonna solve the things going on inside, but it really wasn't. All the while, I was actually living as a Christian. I was living my life, going to Sunday services, going to youth on Friday nights. I was participating as a student leader in my youth ministry, trying to go farther and go deeper in my faith with God. But all this time, there was a life of sin beneath the surface. And I knew that as a Christian, what I was doing was actually not only a counterfeit for love and intimacy, but it was actually sinful. It says here in Matthew 5, 27 to 28, you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I knew that what Jesus said was true and that what I was doing was not okay. But this life of sin kind of began beneath the surface. A life of sin was kind of right under the outside persona that I was putting on to be a good Christian or to be a quality person and to follow Jesus. The reality was that I was not actually motivated by my understanding of why I needed to stop doing this behavior. I was actually motivated by what I thought was the purpose of a Christian. What I thought was the whole point of loving Jesus was simply not to sin. I was motivated by the, the attitude of, as a good Christian, you just try not to sin your whole life. And the reality is, is that it's unattainable to do that. And a couple of weeks ago, I know that Pastor Mike actually talked about living in a visional vacuum, where if you live your life in a way that, that you see through the perspective of what not to do, you actually live your life short-sighted. You live your life not seeing the full perspective and until you kind of step back and look through the eyes of, of what God wants to do through you and in you, your whole perspective can change. 
But the reality is that this misunderstanding that I had where I thought that I needed to live my whole life just simply trying not to sin left, left me and led me to an incredibly dark place called shame. See, I found myself not only thinking that the thing that I was doing was bad, I found myself thinking that I was bad. The key difference between guilt and shame is that guilt says the thing you're doing is wrong and shame says you are that wrong thing. Guilt says the thing you're doing is wrong and shame says you are that wrong thing. I remember there was one night so vividly that I can recall from my time in youth ministry. Um, I was worshiping in the back of the service. We had a, like a worship service for our youth group and I was back there singing songs and trying to participate in the service and trying to hear from God. And as I was back there, I was constantly thinking about this life of sin that was going on in my life. All of this stuff under the surface that was going on that I wasn't admitting or wasn't kind of talking about, it had been consuming my mind. And I remember so vividly, I saw a picture in my head and it was a picture of my heart. And the picture of my heart was not one that was red and like full of life that you can think of. Like it wasn't full of life at all. It was in fact, it was covered in this black sludge and it was dripping in the stuff. The whole picture that I saw was just full of darkness. And in that moment, I remember thinking to myself that there is no way that if anybody in this room actually knew me, would they love me? I thought there is no way that if anyone actually knew what was going on beneath the surface, that they would actually love me. And that was the moment that shame really set in for me. That was the moment where I really started to believe that about myself. And so this cycle began where I basically continued in this life of sin, knowing that it was wrong, but being too ashamed to tell anybody. And I would try and I would try, I would think that I was strong enough to overcome it and I would find myself falling and failing and becoming even more and more ashamed. And this attitude not only didn't lead me to a place of freedom from this addiction, it actually led me to a place of further bondage from things like lying. I found myself lying to the people closest to me lying to my parents, and the reality was is that these lies made it seem like I was actually escaping the shame of pornography. I thought at first, wow, I could escape the shame of pornography by lying to my mom, lying to my friends, but the reality was is that it just continued to compound the shame. Because not only now did I feel ashamed of that thing that I was doing, I now became ashamed of the lies that I was telling. And my whole life began to feel like a lie. And the cycle went on for years continuing after that. And after I kind of began lying more, I found myself even more in shame. And then I remember so vividly, there was one day in particular that I was basically in a separate room in my parents' house. I was doing homework in one of the rooms and I was also um, using pornography at that time. And I remember my mom came in and I hid the tab that I was looking at. And I remember she found it. And I lied my way out of the situation. And as I walked out of the room, I remember thinking, oh, that was a close one. That was really close. But I did it. Like, I made it out, and I lied my way out of another situation, and I'm free from the shame of that. And then all of a sudden, it was like years and years of all of the things that I had been doing and all of the shame that I had been feeling all of a sudden hit me in that moment. Like, all of a sudden, I realized the weight in which I was bearing because of all of that shame that I was feeling hit me in that moment and it began to come out in tears and I started breaking down and I remember I felt like I needed to go back and confess to my mom. 
I needed to go back and confess to her what I had been doing because I knew that it was wrong. But I remember as I was kind of preparing myself to go back in and tell her and talk to her about it, I had that picture of my heart stuck in my head. And that lie that I had been saying to myself that there is no way that if anyone knew me, they would actually love me. And so when I was walking back into the room to share with my mom, I was expecting that kind of a response. I was expecting the response that I would probably have given to myself if I was in her shoes. And I remember as the words came out of my mouth and I confessed these things and I shared what was going on, her words that she said stuck with me so, so long. And to this day, they're ones that I remind myself of. Because I remember she, she looked at me in the face and she said, Spencer, I see you no differently. I love you. Let's walk through this together. I see you no differently. I love you. Let's work through this together. I think the reality is, is that sometimes we can think that in order for us to actually achieve relationship with Jesus, in order for us to actually work through things, we actually have to be perfect. You see, that was the attitude that I was living in through that struggle. I was believing that in order for me to actually have relationship with Jesus, I had to be perfect. This whole time, my whole life, I had actually had a misunderstanding of grace. I heard verses like this one from 1 Peter where it says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I had read scripture like this and I had misinterpreted it. Like I said, I thought that in order to have relationship with Jesus, I actually had to be holy first. I had to be perfect first. I looked at my struggle with pornography as almost like this big pile of garbage and on the other side of it was Jesus. And in order to actually get to him, I had to work through that pile of garbage when in reality, he's standing on the same side of it as I was, wanting to work through it together. But this attitude left me to thinking that I couldn't have a relationship with Jesus. I wasn't good enough to have a relationship with Jesus. How many of you guys feel that? Maybe you feel like you're not good enough to have a relationship with God or like you need to fix something in your life first in order to actually engage in relationship with him, in order to actually receive the grace that he's given. It's something that can happen so easily and it may not even just be in your relationship with God, it may be with other people where you just don't feel good enough, you don't feel like you can actually please those around you, like you're not valuable. And the reality is, is that you feel that way with the people in your life it's almost positive that you'll feel that way about your relationship with God. See, the truth about being good enough and being a good enough Christian through our deeds is actually impossible. The reality is that achieving that is actually impossible. In my own journey through recovery, I had to battle these thoughts constantly because if you have ever had to kick a habit or change something in your life, you know that it takes time and it takes effort and it takes failure. And all too often, we are perfectionists about doing things. We are perfectionists about changing things or kicking habits. I mean, think about January 1st, right? Everybody is about to change their eating habits. Everyone's going to go to the gym. People are quitting smoking. People are doing all these things. And then January 7th comes around, and people have all stopped, right? Like, everyone's just paying gym memberships for that month, but they haven't gone in 15 days, the reality is that probably on day four or five, they were too tired to wake up to go to the gym at six o'clock like they had promised they'd be doing seven days a week or they decided to eat that Snickers bar because they, they saw it and they really wanted it. And by day four or five, they had actually given up already because they couldn't do it perfectly. 
They couldn't do it perfectly. And the reality is, is that this perfectionist mindset will always, always, always lead to you giving up. A perfectionist mindset will always, always, always lead to you giving up because you can't do it perfectly. Something that stuck with me while I was journeying through um, my recovery and my struggle with pornography was this. You can't do it perfectly, but you can do it. You can't do it perfectly, but you can do it. Shame is a typical barrier and probably one of the most common barriers to changing something in your life. Whether that's something that you know is a bad habit or something that maybe you feel God is revealing to you that you need to change or you're reading scripture and you see that something is contradictory in scripture to what your life is living and the reality is is that shame can be the most common barrier to actually changing those things. The truth is, is that it can go from guilt to shame incredibly quickly and maybe even without us noticing. Going from the thing I'm doing is bad or the thing I'm doing is what I want to change to I am bad and I can't change. But the reality is that the verse that I mentioned earlier about being holy in 1 Peter is actually true. God does desire for us to be holy and God desires for us to be holy by honoring him in our actions and our conduct and our behavior and desiring to, to be like him. So we have kind of like these two things, right? We have grace, which says, I love you at your worst. And we have holiness, which says, I want you to change and look more and more like me every day. This idea of holiness is a daily renewal. It's a constant pursuit where if you're not dead, you're not done pursuing it. If you're still breathing, you're still pursuing what it looks like to be like Jesus every single day. But the truth is that there are two extremes when it comes to kind of understanding this idea of grace and holiness. And we can, I think, find ourselves there, and you probably are, belong to one of these two options. Maybe you're like me, and the first option is that you think that in order to pursue holiness, you actually need to be perfect first. In order to be more like Jesus, you actually are having to earn your way to his love. You're trying to earn your way to his grace. And so every day, Grace just feels just out of reach, where you're working and you're doing your best and you're trying to be a good Christian and you're actually never able to achieve grace. But then secondly, you have the person who engages with grace in a way that I like to call hyper grace, where you hear the the phrase that God loves you at your worst and you think that that means you never ever have to change. And you just continue on sinning and you continue on sinning just knowing that God loves me and so I'm gonna continue going with my sinful life without ever feeling the need to change whatsoever. The context surrounding the, the verse that I mentioned earlier is important and it actually, I think, leads us into understanding what it really means to pursue a life of holiness and to also embrace grace. So the book of Peter, in the first chapter, it starts off basically reminding us of the hope that we can have in Jesus. Because because Jesus came, because he died on the cross and he, he provides the access to grace, we can actually live our life here on earth knowing that there is an eternity waiting for us. Knowing that if you have accepted Jesus into your life, that at the end of your life, you will actually enter into eternal relationship with him. And so the, t- the trials and the tribulations here on earth and the things that you go through here on earth, we can actually look at in a way that we see the end result. We're able to have hope that because Jesus died and he rose again, we actually can live with what Peter calls a living hope. We can live with a living hope. And so in the verses that we're gonna read in just a moment, it's actually the application to that. So it's the action step to that. So Knowing that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again to basically pay for your sin, 
This is the action required. It says this in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 20. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you are ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, in my story, I was actually stuck in that first verse. I was stuck in the part where it says, um, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This idea of being sober-minded is actually a concept bigger than bodily drunkenness. It's, an, it's a concept bigger than drinking too much or, or t- using too much of a substance. This idea is actually referring to mental intoxication. This idea that you can actually allow for things to take over your mind or consume your mind. This idea that even good things, things that seem good, can actually be one of those things that take over your mind, like your career. The reality is is that this idea of being sober-minded has to do with knowing who is at the primary seat in your mind or what is at the primary seat in your mind. And if you aren't sober-minded, if Jesus isn't at that primary seat, it actually clouds your vision. It clouds your ability to understand that he is where your hope should lie. Because for me, I had allowed for pornography to cloud my mind. And I thought that where my hope needed to lie was actually in my own ability. I thought that where my hope was, was in my ability to fight through something, to white knuckle my way through something, or be strong enough or tough enough in order to earn God's love. And the reality is that that just wasn't true. It can cloud our minds. You see, I was not embracing grace. I was like I already said, I was trying to do it myself. And so I was trying to earn this thing and not embracing what grace truly meant. With the section of scripture, we actually see both grace and we see holiness displayed in verse 14. And so there is that dichotomy there, okay? We have grace, which is God loves me at my worst. And then we have holiness, which is we want you to change. So how can we live in that balance? How can we live between those two extremes, as it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So Peter in that section of scripture is actually quoting a verse from Leviticus. It's in uh, chapter 11, verse 44. And so in the chapters surrounding that verse, as well as in that chapter, God is actually giving the Israelites, so his people in the Old Testament, he's giving them rules and regulations to live by. And there's actually commentators who argue back and forth about why um, God was giving these certain rules, because in this chapter in particular, there's, he's actually just describing clean animals, which the Israelites were allowed to eat, and unclean animals, which they weren't allowed to eat. And there doesn't seem to be like a clear ex- reason why he's naming certain animal, animals. And the commentators have kind of all talked about how the reality is, is that one thing that is incredibly significant about this, whether or not they can figure out why the animals are clean or unclean, is that God wants his people to be set apart. God wants his people to be set apart. And so through giving them these rules and giving them these things in order that they had to live by, he was setting them apart from the nations that they were living among. He was setting them apart from the people around them that maybe did things differently or had pagan practices. He was setting them apart 
to be like him. And because God is holy, he desires for his people to be holy. And so in that chapter in Leviticus, he's basically saying, I want you to look like me. I want you to be holy because I am holy and I want my character to be reflected in my people. I want my character to be reflected in my people. And the truth is, as we just read, Peter quotes the same passage, showing that that Old Testament desire for his people to be holy and to look like him and to be marked by him and to be set apart hasn't changed. That God still desires for his people to be set apart. But now instead of it just being the Israelites, everyone is welcomed into that. That if you believe in Jesus, you are a part of his people. And he desires for you to be set apart and to be marked by his character. And maybe that feels like a lot of pressure because Peter actually also says, you'll be judged individually for the deeds that you do. So we're stuck again in a little bit of a dichotomy, right? Okay, like you want us to pursue holiness, but also there's grace. And the reality is, is that the difference here is grace, is that in the New Testament, as Peter is saying this, the difference is that Jesus has come, he has died on the cross and has been raised again so that we can have access to grace. We can have access to grace. When we look through the, through the eyes and through the lens of God's holiness and his grace together, we can actually understand what grace really is. I think often our culture desires to push us into extremes. It wants to see you on one side or on the other. It's really difficult for people to understand that there can be two things true at the same time. It's really difficult for people to understand that you can actually land in the middle of something where you can understand that, that grace means God loves you at your worst and that he also desires for you to pursue holiness. See, if we only look through one or the other, we can actually abuse grace. We can actually abuse grace if we only look through the lens of holiness or through grace. If we look through the lens of holiness like I was, you're abusing grace because you're, you're, you're thinking that you need to earn it. And grace was a free, free gift, so if you're thinking you need to earn it, you actually are not believing that it was freely given. And if you look through the lens of only grace, you begin to treat grace like a bit of a credit card that you don't have to pay, where you continue to sin, you continue to go, just believing that you don't have to worry about the end result or you're, the way you're living your life. Sydney and I recently moved out of our apartment. I think that this, this dictates this sort of thing very clearly. We were chatting with our um, landlord because she was doing the dreaded inspection at the end of our rental. So, you know, you learn how much money you get to get back and typically it's like $10 um, because they find every little scratch. Um, but we were talking with her about what are some of the worst um, apartment units she's ever uh, inspected in her whole life. And she was telling us that there's been some horrible ones where people have just not cleaned up the whole time, things have been filthy. And she said, the truth is that there's two types of people typically. The one type of person who, because they don't own the property, they don't care. They will not keep it clean, they will make it filthy, they will put holes in the wall, and it doesn't even, it doesn't even bother them that they are making this place horrible because they don't have to pay for it, it's not their own property. And then there's the other side of people, who she said are too afraid to even put a nail in the wall to hang a picture. See, there's people on both sides, and I think that this demonstrates this very clearly. You have the people who want to pursue holiness, but they feel like they're not good enough to be engaging with the grace of God. And then you have people who, who lean so heavy on the grace side that they abuse his grace as well. See, holiness should be a response to the character of God. 
It should be a response to what God has done. The reality is, is that Peter says here that this is not something cheap that was paid for. Like this idea of grace and the fact that we have access to grace is not a light thing. The grace that we have access to was not cheap. It says here, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He compares it to silver or gold. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I would, be, I would be pretty happy with some silver or gold. And he's saying it's actually much more valuable than that. That the price that was paid in order for you to have access to that grace was higher than anything you can imagine here on earth. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that has paid for you to have access to that grace. And so when we abuse grace, when we abuse grace either by trying to achieve it on our own or by abusing it through sinning and continuing to sin, we are actually not acknowledging the significance of what Jesus did on the cross. We're not actually acknowledging the value of the blood that was shed for us on the cross. God wants so desperately for you to engage with him and have relationship with him that he paid the ultimate price. He sent his son to die for our sin. And when we deliberately disobey God, it grieves him. When we deliberately sin or we deliberately try to do it on our own, it actually grieves God. Because what Jesus did on the cross, the importance of that and the significance and the value of his blood actually paid for us to be set free from sin. It was the payment for us to be set free from sin. And so when we pursue this, this idea of holiness with either of these improper mindsets, we actually don't acknowledge what has happened. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it actually set us free. It, we were enslaved to sin and it set us free. In Romans 6, 5 to 6, it says, for we have been united with him in a death like this. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. When we actually abuse grace in this way, whether it's through hyper grace or through trying to achieve grace on our own, we actually are going back under in submission to the thing that Jesus died to set us free from. When we deliberately sin or we try to achieve grace on our own, we are actually falling back under the submission of the very thing that Jesus died to set us free from. What I think is important to understand from the scripture is that you can live a life of holiness and embrace grace. You can live a life of pursuing Jesus and wanting to be like him and embrace grace at the same time. Like I said, our culture desires for us to be one side or the other, but God is beckoning us to be in the middle. He's beckoning us to say, wow, as I pursue holiness, I realize how crappy of a person I am and your grace actually accounts for that. And I can go forward understanding that I have been paid for, my sin has been paid for, and therefore I can pursue holiness. Therefore, I can actually go forward with confidence because maybe you're like me and you had found yourself in a place of shame where you felt I'm not good enough. There's no way that anyone would ever love me. And the reality is that grace says, I love you. But holiness says, let's walk through this together. Let's do this together. Let's be better together. So I wanna challenge you guys this morning. Which of the extremes are you living in this morning? 
Do you find yourself trying to achieve grace through your own good deeds, being a good Christian, trying not to sin, and you feel like grace is always, always out of reach? Or are you here and you find yourself kind of abusing grace? You try to ignore the things that people tell you you need to change, or you kind of ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit because you know that it needs to change, and you're kind of abusing that side of it. Which one are you? Like I said, God is beckoning you into the middle. God is beckoning you to him because as we pursue holiness, just like in the Old Testament in Leviticus, God desires for his character to be reflected in his people. And the truth is, is that if we pursue the character of God, not only do we start becoming like him, we actually get to know him more. When we pursue the character of God, we become like him and we get to know him more. I wanna encourage you guys this morning. Pursue holiness and discover grace. I can guarantee that as you walk towards this character of Jesus, you'll begin to understand how you can be in the middle, how you can pursue holiness and embrace grace. Because maybe you're here this morning and you actually don't feel valuable. You don't feel lovable. You don't feel worth anything. And I want you to know that Jesus sees you and he says, I love you. I wanna walk with you. I wanna be in relationship with you. Maybe you've never even entered into a relationship with God. This morning, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. It's just really simple. You can pray a prayer after me. There's nothing magic about the prayer. It's just an easy way to follow along. You can pray it in your head or you can pray it out loud. But I wanna invite you into the beckoning of God. He wants to embrace you and walk with you into a better life. Let's pray. And if that's you and you're thinking, I want, it, I want what you're talking about. I want to be in relationship with Jesus. Just pray this prayer after me. Like I said, it can be in your head or it can be out loud. God, I've been living a life where my hope has been clouded, where my hope has been put on things that don't last. They're not strong. I desire to be in relationship with you, understanding your grace and your holiness. Jesus, I wanna be in relationship with you. I wanna take this moment to invite you in. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If that was you this morning, if you prayed that prayer, um, or even if you wanted to, or maybe there's something else going on in your life, please connect with somebody in the lobby at the Next Steps table. But if you made that decision to follow Jesus, text LIFE to 604-670-3040. We wanna connect with you. Um, honestly, the best advice that I can give you is don't leave this place without talking to somebody about it or connecting with somebody about it. People with green shirts in the lobby would love to talk to you. And the truth is, is that not only does God wanna walk with you, but I guarantee you there's someone in here that does too. Amazing. Have a great week, you guys. I will see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.